Welcome to the Software People Stories. I'm Shiv. I'm Chitra. And I'm Gaiti. We bring you interesting untold stories of people associated with the creation or consumption of software-based solutions. You'll hear stories of what worked and sometimes what didn't. You will also hear very personal experiences and insights that would trigger your thoughts and inspire you to do even greater things. In this episode, I am in conversation with Ramesh Shastri, an IT industry veteran who for the past five years has moved to the social sector, working to improve the livelihoods in the handicraft sector. In this conversation, he shares his experience with creating some of the very early and successful products for the Indian market and how the skills that he acquired in the IT industry are helping bring in change in the handicrafts industry. Listen on. Hi, Ramesh. Welcome to the Software People Stories. Uh, thanks, Yuguru, for inviting me to your uh, podcast. Uh, glad to be here. Even though we've known each other for a long time, I found that uh, these conversations always are revelations for me. A lot of new stories and your experiences. Sometimes we may not have discussed this. And to trigger all that off, if you can start with your origin story, how you got into IT and then where you are today, we can probably take it from there. Yeah, sure. As all of us, uh, we studied together at the uh, Indian Institute of Science. And uh, then, of course, we went looking for uh, lucrative jobs. You know, we were from middle class families. So we actually sort of gravitated to IT because at that point in time, it seemed to be the most uh, rewarding job out there. So I think uh, that's how I started, like most of us did about uh, 40 years ago. And I got into IT, of course, went through a series of uh, different uh, jobs. And my jobs uh, changed with the times. So, um, so I think uh, I ended up spending about uh, 38 years in the IT sector. Essentially, I know that you, know, you uh, from an individual contributor to you know, running a big profit center, offshore center, all that. So it'll be interesting for our listeners. Yeah, sure. As usual, you know, I mean, most of us started at the bottom of the water round of the ladder, which is basically a technical programming job. And then we moved into positions of uh, management and then uh, managing a business unit for a company. So that's how, uh, you know, I've grown to. The first 10 years was a very technical job, basically building software, building systems. Uh, I started as a systems programmer then you know, moved into basically business applications and uh, products and then services. So sort of uh, traversed uh, the whole uh, you know, gamut of whatever the IT industry was doing at various points in time. So there are different periods if you were to sort of look at uh, uh, your career in terms of and the IT sector in terms of different uh, times. Uh, you know, there were the 80s. And there were the 90s and then there was the post-2000 phase. And of course, there is the now. So if you look at the 80s, 80s, you know, is we had, uh, I had at least very technical jobs. And then uh, basically, it's in the uh, 90s with the liberalization that happened in 1991 that uh, the Indian industry, you know, IT industry took a sharp uh, turn upwards with all this... Uh, offshore offshoring projects that really took off in the 90s 
with the communication links and also the offshore development centers. So that took us through the 90s, the 90s to the Y2K area. And then Y2K, of course, we solved the Y2K problem for the rest of the world. And then, of course, uh, those who came to get their Y2K problem solved in India uh, using offshore resources continue to actually sort of accelerate uh, the use of offshore development for uh, app support. So that's how the IT industry grew phenomenally up to 2000. Uh, and today, you know, it's uh, headed towards a $200 billion uh, business for India, um, the IT sector. And when we started, it was probably, you know, just a few million dollars. And, you know, a couple of million dollars to $200 billion is, is a massive uh, in a roller coaster ride for uh, the IT industry and all, all of us who participated in the IT industry. So I'm, yeah, actually grateful to have been a part of this roller coaster ride. Yeah, Ramesh, yeah, that's really interesting. Talk about the roller coaster ride. Hmm. And how was your own outlook or the way you were handling your responsibilities when you said initially you started as a coder to even running a business unit? Was it something that you enjoyed or was that stressful? No, I have enjoyed all the 38 years or so that I have spent in the IT industry. So we had all kinds of things thrown at us and you, know, you were able to catch it and <laughs> run with it. Uh, we did well. So in that sense, uh, it was fun. Uh, see, I think as long as you've uh, basically uh, open to going into uncharted uh, waters, uh, I think uh, you'll have fun. And that's been my essential experience. So for example, for a, in the 80s, if I used to work for this company called Sonata Software, we were actually developing uh, products for the Indian market. Not many companies were actually succeeding in developing uh, products for the Indian market. So it's a big challenge. And then after uh, stumbling on uh, developing various different kinds of B2 products, B2 products that were sold in the US, we were sort of trying to make them in India. We stumbled upon a desperate need for desktop publishing software in Indian languages. So, you know, at that time, I remember we worked on this product called Prakashak, which was basically a desktop publishing language. And uh, we produced it in about 10 different Indian languages. And actually, it was a big success because, you know, nothing could be imported to support Indian languages. And the printer, the small time printer, had uh, no real options. They were the very expensive expensive uh, monotype, linotype machines to do page composition. There's nothing virtually on a desktop. So I think coming out with a solution that was sort of a, that addressed the needs of the Indian market was actually a very uh, successful product, I would say. So it required a lot of uh, things like, for example, working with Indian fonts, the uh, building a word processor for uh, Indian languages. Uh, is very different from basically doing English language word processing. The, there were no actual fonts available in Indian languages for uh, uh, the computer at that point in time. So we tied up with basically a typeface uh, design company in Pune. So, so I think digitizing those fonts and using those fonts in the word processor and in the publishing software were actually really challenging uh, problems to solve and we actually eventually solved them. So I'm happy to say that pro product actually ran for almost 10 years, even after I left the company, 
they were actually selling it and then uh, the company was actually earning revenues of that product so that to me was a it was a very good example of actually using technology that benefited uh, us here in india yeah that's very good you mentioned two things i'm just trying to connect the two one is about being comfortable with uncertainty and second even the shift from a project thinking to a product thinking hmm. and typically there is one complaint against you know, the quote unquote engineers who other say that want everything to be perfect specified detailed and all that so how did you handle this uncertainty are there any tips for engineers to live with ambiguity or even when you get into maybe more managerial roles there are a lot of things that are undefined so Correct. how do you focus on what needs to be done or what can be done yeah that's a good question shiv uh, essentially i think you know you must actually listen to customers you must actually spend time understanding basically the problem it's not the technology that is uh, you know important it's the final solution that you actually build for your customer that's important so i do remember i mean when we were digitizing fonts some of my engineers who were involved in that found that to be extremely boring they said i'm wasting my time you should be writing uh, c or you know, c++ code basically looking at how to digitize fonts Mm-hmm. but you know at the end of the day actually the fonts actually won the day for you you know because you were able to provide because the the fonts that printers use are extremely artistic fonts and you cannot just use uh, uh, in ordinary fonts so you know because they're doing printing work so you know so that's the problem to solve how do you sort of get fonts that they require so essentially i think you have to focus more on what helps the customer solve this problem and technology comes later it's, it's just a means to an end and that would be basically my advice to anyone who is wanting to develop software products is you know first look at uh, the customer problem and then uh, understand it and then uh, as you know you know historically most uh, projects fail because you never understood requirements properly and you know, that's even more important uh, when you actually build products because you can get it completely wrong Uh, nobody pays for the product up front you know you just have to make money after you sell the product so you can't sell the product if you not got what the customer wants right so i think product development does teach you a lot of lessons in that sense and you also been mentoring startups i did uh, do it this is more like a post retirement uh, job so essentially i uh, started mentoring uh, startups and then i got into the social sector where which requires a lot more mentoring what i found was basically that uh, at the end of the day you need to learn how to run a business so i think that's where uh, whether it's uh, startup in the tech sector or in the social sector the challenges are the same the entrepreneur or the inventor is got this great idea but um, he doesn't know how to sort of uh, make a business out of it or make uh, any money out of the business so i think i thought whatever i learned i could basically pass on that's an interesting position or one question that i've always had mm-hmm. is in the social sector right. we normally talk about the impact being created right and in the it sector yes we do talk about impact but not in the same extent it is more about Okay, either market share or can I get revenue, and it's more immediate, and you have those pressures of 
maybe quarter on quarter growth etc so how are you able to reconcile the thinking in terms of impact which should be long term in the social sector coming from the corporate sector yeah sure see again i want to you know go back and relate it to some of the things that we did in the uh, it sector and then related to what the challenges are in the social sector and how they may be a parallel to what uh, you know happens in the corporate it sector to the other sector for example in this all this offshoring actually started uh, in the 1990s and we just took off in the 2000 i mean the whole concept was offshore development centers actually providing uh, services out of india and if you see basically in software sector took off for various reasons one was adoption of technology computers and software was actually quite uh, affordable if you see you know compared to other areas like manufacturing as uh, you know technology was actually affordable and uh, basically while there were there was a lot of skill available in the country they just combining basically the skill with technology was an enabler to actually go out and reach international markets and for a long time and even today about you know 90% of our revenues actually come from overseas uh, markets so you know exports have always been uh, an important thing for i come here to the social sector and i just want to talk a little about what you know i'm doing now which is you know i work with this ngo called maya which has done basically a phenomenal amount of work in janapatna in the ramnagaram district primarily trying to sort of help the artisans of janapatna who make these uh, traditional wooden toys so we run basically a livelihoods uh, initiative in uh, chennapatna and uh, i've got involved with uh, this mission for the last 5 uh, years and uh, been looking at this toy making industry and i find quite a number of uh, parallels i mean um, one is you know like uh, the traditional the indian wooden toys or handicrafts have a very small percentage share in the international uh, market today you know in india there are about 6 million artisans who toil and make all these handicrafts okay we sort of employ almost about 40% of the world labor that makes handicrafts but when it comes to market share we are actually less than 3 or 4% of the entire market share so okay. you have basically a population base in a world population base of 40% which actually contributes only 3% of basically the revenues of the handicraft sector so so i see basically a big parallel where you can actually sort of focus on exports and uh, make uh, the handicraft sector a lot more viable sustainable and it actually can increase the earnings of basically the artisans that's where i see a parallel when we started in the it industry we were all great engineers highly qualified but our basically there wasn't there was enough talent in the country but the real opportunity came when we actually took to exports so i think there is a parallel in what we can do in the handicraft sector that's that's my two cents uh, of um, understanding of this business any questions there shiv yeah i mean whatever you say it triggers a lot of questions Right. for example in the it sector ha huh. at least we have uh, the indian industry was fairly quick to adopt some of these standards right and certifications and so on you know, to instill confidence right. in our customers 
in the toy sector again these are a layman's point of view that i believe there are a lot of standards and stringent requirements in terms of safety for kids in terms of how the toys are designed or the kind of paint that is used which has to be non toxic etc in this unorganized sector as you said when we have so many artisans how are you going about bringing in some of these and did anything that uh, helped you in the it sector do you find that useful for this sector also no sure that's absolutely a good question in fact uh, just historically you know chennapatna was sort of exporting hand- handicrafts to a reasonable extent till 2008 2008 was also when i think uh, for some reason we opened up the sector to imports from china and that actually took uh, severe uh, so the handicraft sector particularly in chennapatna i'm sure there are other sectors in india also it took a heavy beating because of the cheap chinese imports and you know if you go to see basically there are a lot of chinese toys that are palmed off today as chennapatna toys which is quite sad because they are not traditional because the guy on the street there has to earn his living so you know, things like that are happening there you're right actually and because of which also the standards have fallen at one point of time there were only natural dyes that we used the traditional toy making industry in chennapatna used natural dyes so it's an interesting way they make toys they make toys out of uh, this wood called hale mara or hale wood which is soft and white and uh, it grows in the non forest non farm lands and it's just sort of uh, sort of all natural so no pesticides or no fertilizers were used to growing the tree it was just picked up naturally from the forest area and they use lac which is basically resin insect resin that uh, grows on trees and then uh, basically they mix it with uh, all kinds of dyes like turmeric for example to get uh, yellow color indigo to get uh, blue color and then you know variety of other natural things so these were what was actually used so now what has happened is basically because of the cheap chinese imports they try to compete with uh, them and they ended up using actually a lot of toxic paints actually in making toys and all this actually resulted in exports coming down because basically you know when they started uh, looking at the toys you know all these things happened so in maya basically we sort of consciously decided that all toys will actually use only natural uh, lac colors and we have also gone through this whole regime of testing toys so today you know toys made by us are compliant with uh, european standards they are also compliant with american us uh, ansi standards so you know it's not very difficult actually to comply it's just that we need to have a discipline to comply with them so now i think one way is to actually ensure that that's we bring in these standards in a, to the entire craft craft cluster so you can't do it uh, just isolated ways you have to actually look at how to approach the entire craft cluster and if you are interested i can talk about how we plan to do this yeah in fact that is going to be my follow on question yeah i don't want to be long winded and uh, ramble on without uh, <laughs> answering anything specific that you have in mind but uh, so so no, no, this is all know. triggered now once you explain this i'll probably ask my question okay definitely no is about uh, working with the craftsmen right yeah so essentially you know like i said if you do look at the craft industry there were about uh, 
you know, if you go back to about 15, 20 years, there were about 3,000 um, artisans. That number has actually come down to 750 people. We actually did a very comprehensive artisan survey of their social background, economic background, their skills, and you know what is it that they're looking for. So there has been a massive attrition from the traditional uh, artisan community. So that number has come down to about 750. So we have a plan actually of, uh, so what we did was rather than, it's completely unorganized. So there are a lot of small units, four people, five people, six people, 10 people late uh, units where these toys and handicrafts are made. So what we did was we sort of created uh, now what is called as a producer company. Producer company is like a collective. It's um, the artisans are owners or shareholders in the company and they get compensated for what they produce. And that's the principle of the producer company. So, um, so we found a producer company which has about 500 members and our goal is actually to go to about 250 in three years and taking up to 500 plus artisans being a part of this uh, artisan producer company. And to support this artisan producer company, so Maya as an NGO went and approached for, uh, made a proposal to the government of India. So there is a Sfuti scheme, you know, scheme for, scheme of fund for regeneration of traditional um, industries. It's under the MSME ministry. So a proposal is accepted. And so what the MSME department has done is, is given as a grant to set up what is called a CFC, a central facility center, which will act like an incubation center for artisans. So we will bring in basically a design studio. For example, what needs to be done is we need to take old designs and make them more contemporary. So we need uh, design uh, interventions. The other is basically technology has not been upgraded for the last 60, 70 years. We're still making stuff on the same old lathes. So we are bringing in new machinery that will actually speed up the way in which, uh, you know, the products will be made. So, and then, you know, and then we'll also have a training center where we were actually do skill upgradation. We'll come up with basically skill assessment and basically uh, how to move people from one skill level to the next skill level. So we've come up with training programs for that. So we want to put all the 500 artisans through this program and get them to a stage where actually they'll be able to produce quality products. They'll be able to produce to standard specifications. So we are also bringing in a bit of engineering discipline. For example, we need to teach artisans to read an engineering drawing. So today, for example, we've, in our design studio in Maya, we are actually doing some basic designs on AutoCAD. So, you know, it's unheard of in the unorganized sector. So you do design without actually, you know, making stuff first, which is how, you know, the auto industry or any other industry does. So, so the whole idea is we create this central facility center, which will be available to all the artisans to come and get what they want. Uh, we'll also train them to become entrepreneurs. So they must be able to sort of manage their own small units. Actually, they'll be part of the collective, but they will work on basic orders. So, so that's the culture that we are trying to bring about among the artisans. Uh, and then, you know, we're also looking at a hub and spoke model. So if you see the current, uh, there are about 15, 16 uh, areas in the Chennapatna district where basically people make uh, these toys in small uh, units. So we are actually going to create a hub and spoke model. Spoke model is we'll have a small unit, about say 10 lathes, 
it'll be basically you know this producer company which is called artisan pride producer company that will set up the lathe uh, the the facility in the area where actually artisans live and work so, so this is how we want to sort of reorganize the industry in a, in a way that actually it benefits uh, you know livelihoods and their earnings go up and of course on the front end we have to actually learn all the new age marketing techniques we got to get online we got to understand social media marketing so we've created a front end marketing company which will actually do all of this and uh, you know promote the products made by the artisans so that's the general goal so if you see you know all of this was in some ways done you know in the software industry so so that's see that's where i see a parallel you know what we did in the software industry we're trying to do it in the unorganized sector very interesting ramesh actually i have a question which is probably the converse of this right software development itself there is an evergreen debate is it art is it science is it engineering and there is a growing movement or school of thought that software development is craftsmanship and many things that as you were describing getting the craftsmen organized having their the traditional knowledge or the collective knowledge harnessed and then making it available to both preserve and also make it contemporary bringing in new tools and techniques etc to make them more productive and to probably make the product creation times shrunk as well as probably testing some concepts out how many of these kind of concepts do you think can be transplanted back into the software industry because even though we have grown i guess some of the core challenges that either each individual faces as an engineer or a contributor to a software solution or as organizations can be applied you're asking me a reverse question how basically learnings from the yeah you know, from the social sector from sector. organizing craftsmen hmm. and artisans can there be some lessons in terms of helping people getting into the software industry or even people who have been in the software industry for a while one maybe codify or collate the collective knowledge and apply that to become more productive and stay current sure i mean um... Well, one is you know people in the handicraft sector work a lot hard and earn a lot less actually compared to the IT sector. I think uh, one lesson that people in the IT sector sh- should understand is they shouldn't complain about uh, what they make, and uh, particularly the craft sector, they work very hard to earn a, a lot less money. So I think you have to learn to respect hard work and basically. the constraints under which basically people perform here to make ends meet so anyway the other thing is my experience of looking at uh, the artisans is you know i think uh, many of them actually have take big pride in uh, the work they do in fact that's the reason we called uh, this producer company artisan pride in fact they came up with uh, their own uh, name in kannada they say hemme hemme means pride so in the work that we do we have pride so that's how the artisan pride is just an english version of the canada name so i think uh, people should actually in the software industry must take uh, pride in, in the work they do in the product they produce so that's one uh, lesson one thing that is uh, happened is you know that even the it sector uh, I, i'll give an example you know some time ago there was basically a, a team of uh, cios from germany who showed up at our uh, unit mm-hmm. and they were a part of basically a 
global training uh, that uh, you know there was this european uh, in germany they were sort of for all these uh, c exos they were conducting a international training exposure to india and china so this uh, company training program there was this training company for um, senior executives who was conducting this exposure visit to india and china and as a part of their uh, visit they had to visit basically some traditional indian uh, sector and they picked chennapatna and they came to our unit so i was quite uh, pleasantly surprised to get a visit from 16 german uh, people many of them were cios in my it job during my it job i would have loved to actually keep pick their business cards and then uh, <laughs> do follow up uh, you know <laughs> the things on that you know follow up uh, calls on uh, leads but they just came to look at it so so what i was saying is people are understanding that from um, there are a lot of markets out here that you know that internationally people should uh, understand and uh, so that's why basically even in rural indian uh, uh, customers are actually being sought after by you know various uh, international companies so that was basically the the anecdote on that but what can be learned from the craft sector uh, is i think our success in this you know if we get through this project there will be certain learnings that will happen that we can actually take to other places i would say that we are still in the learn mode here yeah thanks i think i'll wait for the results of your experiments okay. because whenever you want some breakthrough innovations you always look at other sectors correct and i definitely find this very fascinating to be able to organize the unorganized sector and also make it international yes yes because unless you actually improve the quality of your products and the consistency of the products you will not be able to export those products and you will not be able to sort of get better value realization for your products and you know you won't see the volumes so if you were to sort of you know jump start the livelihood uh, program here and sort of have targets for increasing uh, artisan say you know wages over a period of time uh, you got to start where the it industry started so it's the same thing you know like we went and did uh, cmm level uh, you know training or iso 9000 training and got uh, people up you know the quality you know ladder so we got to do the same thing here yeah that's very reassuring i have one question for our guests about uh, the prospects in it hmm. and this time after listening to you i think those who are considering probably what after it Mm-hmm. whether it is post retirement or even they are looking at a career change it mm-hmm. looks like the social sector also offers a lot of opportunities for people in it to leverage their experience and create an impact no absolutely i absolutely think you know that uh, there you know the kind of exposure that uh, the it you know folks have you know international exposure we've also been uh, we've also seen how businesses are managed how international customers uh, actually manage the business how basically marketing sales is done so this is all absolutely very relevant to the social sector we can actually uplift the entire uh, uh, social sector with um, from uh, with, with folks from the it industry so there is definitely basically a scope for uh, uh, you know doing something interesting after 
if you want to quit your regular job and do this on that note ramesh i'd like to thank you for sharing all your experience and also this hope of how everyone can contribute to the social sector and that's about all the time we have for this episode i sure would like to catch up with you on many more related questions that have been triggered by what you shared yeah thank you shiguru for your time and then all the best for your podcast We thank Siddharth for the music and Anita for promoting the software people stories. If you like this episode, please subscribe on your favorite podcast client and spread the word in your network. If you'd like to share your story, contact us at podcast@pm-powerconsulting.com.